Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Nationwide, by your side, talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It's that day, Wednesday, it's Prime Minister's Questions. That means another go-round for Rishi Sunak and Sakir Starmer. The first outing last week actually did rather well for the new Prime Minister. People said, oh, he seems to be quite calm. He seems to have calmed the waters. And he has, to some extent, calmed the waters. This week, the story has all been about Suella Braverman, uh, invasions and migrants, has it not? But it takes a different twist today uh, because, no doubt, Sakir Starmer will have to make some kind of accusation about the cruel Tories. And by doing so, he might actually have to reveal what Labour Party policy would be on the migrant crisis. We're looking at headlines this morning, not so much about the migrants on the front pages, but more about criminals and sexual predators. Uh, That would be the ones in the police, not actually the ones that may or may not be arriving on our shores. So um, there's a problem in the police because it would seem that in every single aspect of every single part of our society in Britain, pretty much all of the nastiness has been ruled out If you work for a major corporation, you don't get away with behaving like some kind of degenerate 1970s bloke uh, who only talks to other blokes and doesn't talk to women uh, except to leer at them. That doesn't happen anywhere else, but it seems to be still happening in the police force. I don't know why that is. I don't know how that's happened. Somebody needs to be held responsible, but it literally means that thousands and thousands of corrupt police officers are on our streets. That's according to a new bombshell report uh, from the Inspector of Constabulary. I don't think anybody's going to be that surprised, but we should be surprised and we should be utterly shocked, should we not? 0344 499 1000. We say all the time in this day and age, what is it that is wrong with the police? Why can they not arrest anybody? Well, it seems that they're so busy sending WhatsApp messages to one another and joking about raping people uh, that they haven't got time. Seems bizarre to me. We'll be getting into it. William Clouston is here from the Social Democrats. We'll find out from him what their policy would be uh, on the migrants. And also, of course, we have to talk about that man, the Secretary of State for Health, formerly known as Matt Hancock. Yesterday in our show, uh, it became clear that he was going to be going out to Australia to play 
part in the I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here. We'll be talking to Isabel Oakeshott, who's written a book with him, co-written a book, his Pandemic Diaries. There's lots of spoof versions going around, uh, some of them uh, slightly unsavoury. We'll be looking into that, of course, as well. And Peter Cardwell will be here. In addition, Kevin Saunders, former Border Force Chief Immigration Officer, will tell us what he thinks needs to be done to fix the problems in the channel. But there's much more besides, because as you know, what we want to do is to hear from you, because we take your views uh, and we augment them uh, and we make them audible to all the people that actually listen to this show. And so some of those people are quite important. 0344 499 1000. Meghan Markle's even going to get a mention later on as well. So stay tuned for that. Apparently she nearly did a British citizenship test, just like she nearly became queen. Just like she nearly decided to be part of the royal family. Just like she nearly decided not to promote herself every single second of the day. Dear me. Uh, This is Talk TV. I'm Mike Graham. Let's get it on. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Uh, We've got breaking news first up this morning. They always wait till my show starts, which is very nice of them, I have to say. Rishi Sunak has announced... William Clouston, have a guess what he's announced. I don't know, the sky is blue. What is it? Uh, he's going to COP27. Yeah. I mean, what is it? U-turns are us. Why don't you just <laughs> rename the Tory party U-turns are us? Yeah, yeah. Here's a, po- here's a policy. Uh, tomorrow we're going to change it. Well, I'm not surprised. I don't, I'm surprised he didn't agree and just turn up. It's only, it's not very far. There's no jet lag. Just turn up and go back Yeah, home. but he made a point of saying he wasn't going because there was a reason for that. The reason for that was to show his uh, his supporters that mm. he was not in thrall yeah. to the climate yeah. maniacs, right? Yeah. And he yeah. was not absolutely and utterly having to go just because they wanted him to because uh, he said there was more important things to worry yeah. about, like the budget. If you can't hold a line, then don't make the so statement. is he now saying that the budget's not as important as climate change? No, I think he's just been... They've put pressure on him and he's caved in. What's wrong with these politicians? I don't know, I don't know I mean, Mike. have they never heard of know. actually having a conviction know. about something yeah. and sticking to it? But it was pointless. I mean, you know, I, I think he, you know, just go and I'm say so, hello. I'm, it doesn't I'm, make any I'm difference. I'm quite annoyed about this. Yeah, yeah. It shows weakness, though. It does show weakness. I agree with that. But I'm not surprised. I knew he'd do it. I, you just only had to look at the papers the last few days to know that. Yeah, that was well, I saw it, when that I was... saw it the weekend, and he was hmm. still holding um, a possibility it open that go. he might go. Yeah, I mean, for so, heaven's sake, there you go. It's not much. Of well, a it news. starts on Sunday, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. So maybe he'll just go on Sunday and come back Sunday night. He will. He, he won't. He won't be there for long. Hmm. Yeah, but uh, he has caved in. The only good news about this is that he's put himself up for that earlier than we filmed Plank of the Week, so he can now make an appearance on Plank of the Week. Out Friday night, 7 o'clock. He's a contender. He definitely (laughs) is. I wasn't going to put him on the list this week, but I'm afraid, because it was going to be Matt Hancock all the way, who was going to win. Well, I think probably he will win. (laughs) I mean, but... The, the serious point about both yeah. of these things is yeah. that we've been asking for leadership for a long time. Liz Trust came along and gave us the kind of leadership that the Tory party didn't want, mm. um, or that certainly the country appeared not to want. Shambles. Some people did. She was categorically moved, removed from post partly because she just kept changing her mind. She kept caving into pressure. She should ne- Yeah, but she should never have been there. I mean, it was a failure of the system... The people was it though? It was you, the people. She didn't. She didn't even have the basic skills that you need. She didn't like to debate. She hated giving speeches. Mm. And she, you've got to have the basic skills. So for her to get that far, she sort of rose without trace. It was strange. Uh, it's over. What we want is competent government. We'll wait and see whether we can have it. He Sunak has a, a wobbly wheel on the mm. supermarket trolley, and that's yeah. the South Coast and the migrant crisis. So yeah. that is the thing. I mean, they want competent governments, but whether we're going to get it and whether he gets. 
he delivers it, I don't know. I'm well, I mean, this is the trouble, isn't it? I mean, I was saying long before they installed Rishi Sunak, mm. um, when the Liz Truss bandwagon started to fall apart, mm. it was just embarrassing, you know, mm. not just for people who voted for Tory party the policy, whole country. but for the whole nation. Yeah. And, and we were the laughing stock of the world. You know, people were making jokes about us on American chat shows. And yeah. you just kind of go... Now it's time for an election. And I nope. said that then, and I still think that's the only way out of this kind of nonsensical yeah. staggering from one policy ex- uh, you know, exchange to another, one U-turn to another. I mean, what's yeah. going to U-turn on next? I mean, I don't know, for example, mm. what the policy is from this government on the triple lock. I don't mm. know. I mm. don't know what the policy is on help with energy prices because mm. it's supposedly going till April, but I don't Six know months, yeah. whether that yeah. will be, be rescinded. I don't know what they're going to do um, about bankers' bonuses. I don't know what they're going to do about a whole raft of things mm. that they've they've flip-flopped on over the past three months. I don't think there's any prospect that we'll, we'll have an early, early election. I just can't see that happening. I think, the um, it, as I've said before, it's not in the interests of certainly red wall seats. There must be well over 100 and, you know, 120, 150 mm. MPs that are on the line here. Yeah. Why would you just uh, you know uh, throw, throw in the towel? They're not going to do that. They're no. not going to do that. Well they're, they're not volu- well, they're not going to voluntarily do it, but they might be forced into a situation where they have to do it just because the government has ceased to function. I don't. Well, it's we've had that before, and, we, and they, it reminds me a little bit of the programme of Parliament. There's quite a lot of chop and stress that a government can go through if it's mm. got that size majority. I don't see it myself. I think we'll have an election in 2024. I think he'll probably get there. But the, the big problem for him is the migrant mm. crisis. I think I, I met some Tories yesterday, uh, and I said to them that the I think there's probably 80 or 90 seats range yeah. uh, difference in the next election if you don't solve this problem if you don't solve it that, we, I think we know how to you know the SDP's issued some very good policy on this yeah and tell us a bit it. about what your policies would be you've got the, the government doesn't understand incentives they, they don't understand the, the migrants are acting totally rationally Mike it's mm. a totally rational thing to do you, you rock up you pay someone 5,000 euros you, en- you enter this country uh, without being vetted you, mm. you turn up and you claim asylum uh, 74% of people are, are approved. Those that aren't approved probably won't get removed. So you're going to stay here. Mm. That's the offer. Well, and you can't, you can, we can't continue to make that offer and expect the migrant flows not to increase. It will increase. So just look at the graphs. So the government have lost control over this entirely. Mm. Our policy is, to, and, and also I've said before, fettering your policy to Rwanda, this is just a publicity stunt. It can't work. They've deliberately left the uh, legal means to challenge the policy in place. So the immigration industry and the, the, the lawyers will just be all mm. over that. Uh, well, there are, there are three groups here, right? There's the immigration lawyers, there's the people traffickers, mm. and there's the government, right? Mm. There's two lots of those people out of three who keep their word and do what they say they're going to do. Those are the people traffickers and the lawyers. Yes, right? exactly. The government doesn't. No, because they, the government don't know what they're doing. And people and people wonder why the public lose trust in politics and politicians. But they were elected, if you read the Tory manifesto in 2019, our system gives us control over who comes in. Well, look, we don't have that. We no. have an open border. So it's, it's actually very basic. The problem is they don't really want to do it. I've said before they don't want to do it. What you have to do is you have to do offshore processing in an overseas territory that we control. We've mm. suggested Ascension Island. If you, They're spending $6.8 million a day on hotels. I, I realise you Surely they could spend that money better. You could spend it on a detention facility on Ascension. Mm. That's what we're proposing. My, my contention is that it would never be used. If you said... And also pushbacks and in the channel and blaming the French. All of this is a distraction. If you said... Come, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll welcome you here. We'll, you'll be straight on a plane mm. to Ascension Island. The flow would stop overnight. Except, no one. Except that's what people said about Rwanda. And that's what I said about Rwanda. But they're not doing the whole, it. Yeah, but the whole point of it is that it only works as a deterrent if you do it once. 
But they didn't do it once. They did it once with nobody on the plane. They can't do it because because the, the they need they probably need statute law to to they need to get out of the conventions as well. This is the other thing. Right. Bra- Braverman, I, I think she, we can see she's trying, but you can have politics is about choices, Mike. You can either be in the in the fifty one convention mm. and, and and the and the fifty three convention. You can be in those, or you can have border sovereignty. Yeah. You've got you can't have both. Yes. Just the same as you can have an open border, or you can have a welfare mm. state. You can't have both. These are choices that the eventually a Western state is going to decide and say we're going to get out of those, we're going to get the border back and then we will decide and we might well decide to offer sanctuary to more deserving people, more deserving people than, you, well, than we shouldn't Albanian criminals. Well we should be offering sanctuary at this point, we should be offering people the right to come and live here and work here if they're going to bring something to the party i.e. Sure. they're going to come here and fill a vacancy that we we currently have that cannot be filled I get that but right? there, aren't, there aren't, no but we've given sanctuary to, to Ukrainians that all, there will always be a case but, yeah, but my the point Ukrainian is we sanctuary decided, is supposed to be temporary it's not supposed it, to be permanent. Exactly, no I agree but you don't, unless we can face this, I would ask any interviewer or the public or anyone else to ask Braverman, ask the government do you think you can have border sovereignty and stay in the protocols? And mm. the truth is you can't, let's level with the public, mm. you can't, you've got to decide and the reason they don't want to do it is and this is let's just be crude about it they don't want to be embarrassed at middle class tea parties and dinner parties and be said oh that's terrible mm. what you've done you know you've got to decide the yeah. public i think it's a democratic issue the, the it's who like comes Brexit in, all over again isn't it because it's the people who who are affected mostly by these exactly uh, uh, imports of people yeah uh, and that's what they are effectively yeah because the people who make the decisions never see they the effects they, they don't, don't see the the town where the hotel has been taken over they don't see uh, the town where migrants are walking no. around uh, freely uh, as if they own the place mm. and you know whether you like that or not that's the way it looks they and don't so, pay a price and they don't pay the price until, they don't know what it's like until they do then i I'm, i i wish that weren't the case but i i can't see any hint of the government doing it i think they i think the tories are going to get absolutely smashed the sad thing for the public is that the labor party and the lib dems would probably be even worse on mm. this issue so we're not going to get unless we face up to the reality we're not going to get a secure border and i think the british people deserve a, 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 a secure border and i've argued for many months now we're not actually asking for very much no people also, want this under control also we've got to stop this idea that they whenever they come here they can stay uh, mm. we've got to stop the idea that they know that if they touch down on the sand or on the pebbles uh, on the southeast coast of this country that they'll yeah. never leave and that's you, the reality you, you get something very valuable mike you can't blame them in a sense i've said this before you can't blame them in a sense they're per- acting perfectly rationally why wouldn't you you come into a state that it gives you health care it'll it'll house you you've got a good chance of paid employment why wouldn't you come you'd be, be nuts not to until they get this, until they understand that you've got to stop that offer, this will increase. Mm. And I can't see. I mean, Alt Mehmet at Migration Watch, he does great work on this. Yeah. He, uh, you know, he was predicting a much higher figure by the end of the year. Mm. And we will get it. And unless they change the offer, we will have an even bigger. Of course it will. At the end, the end of next year, let's mm. go on and word gets round so that you'll never uh, stop the flow unless you change the offer. And yeah. you get people like Keir Starmer saying, well, oh, we could stop the flow if we give more aid. That Rubbish. is the silliest thing yeah. I've ever yeah. heard. I'm going to stop you just for a second because we're going to take a break. But uh, we're with William Cluson. We're going to talk about uh, Matt Hancock some more. We're going to talk about the Slavery Act as a possible means of stopping this problem. And more about the police as well. Let's just talk TV. Online, on DAB+, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. Uh, here's one from Greg, who says, if the police can't find crooks and criminals in the force, what chance do the rest of us have? It's a pretty good question. Um, you have to be in criminal, you have to be criminal records checked every three years in order to be a security guard, but not apparently to be a police officer, says Terry in Ramsbottom. That is 
actually extraordinary, isn't it? It seems incredible that you can still have a criminal record and still be in the police. That seems to be completely wrong on all sorts of levels. William Cleeston is here, um, just talking about the police briefly. Mm. It just seems remarkable that, you know, we've all worked around this great big wide world of ours for, for, for many decades and more, more more than I care to remember you know and there were certainly places I've worked in the past which mm. would be described as slightly toxic mm. uh, Fleet Street in particular when I was there um, for certain people mm. but not anymore you mm. know I can't think of anywhere uh, where the kind of behaviour that's been going on in the police would be allowed in yeah. it, under any circumstance yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, in any population, doesn't matter what the population, you could have a population of school teachers or librarians or road sweepers or the police, you will get wrongdoers. Everyone understands that. What the public don't understand about this is that the police can't vet properly. Mm. I mean, it's as simple as that. If there's any doubt, you're on, you're on your bike. You, well, either you, they can't vet properly or they're not interested in vetting properly. Well, the cases that we know of that are in the news, uh, they can't vet properly because they haven't, they, you know, they've taken on people with domestic abuse uh, crimes and the rest of right. it. So, no, that's, it, it should be a no-brainer. I mean, the easiest watched... thing with vetting is if there's any doubt, you're not, you're not in. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a police recruitment document uh, in which mm. it says in on one of the lines, ideally, yeah. and these are their words, not mine, uh, you won't have a criminal record. Mm. And it's like, well, what do you no. mean, ideally? No. You know, you're asking for people to become recruits to the no. police force, the police service. How about if you have a criminal record, you can't be a police officer? That's basic, yeah. I mean, really? Yeah, most people understand that. As I say, no, no one, I think, you know, some of the reporting, you've got to understand that, as I say, any, it doesn't matter what large population you will have, you will have people doing wrong. And some people will get criminal convictions, but this is just a basic failure. I mean, you know, talk about lack of trust in in the system. Yeah, basics. We 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 as a political party, we vet everyone that tries to join us. Mm. Uh, and every you vet month, everybody who wants to stand for election. Absolutely, you've got to you've got to be uh, CRB record, check uh, and obviously, all that. obviously yeah. you do. Yeah, and you can't get onto the candidates list right. unless you have that. Uh, you know, and that doesn't see everything. I guess you know something could, could no. Go the wrong, system is perfect, but we try. But yeah. on the vetting, to actually, to join the STP, mm. you'd be surprised. We, you know, we get good. We've had a massive membership uh, surge, as you can imagine, recently, and and there's always a couple of people. You know, we get something from the party secretary. He'll mm. say, "What about this?" And I would say, "No, yeah, no, it's not worth it. Right. Why would you? Why would you? If there's any doubt, yes. But for a police officer, no, it's basic. It really is. Yeah. And similarly for uh, the basics of running an immigration service. I mean, I quite like the idea. I was speaking to somebody from the Adam Smith Foundation the mm. other day, um, mm. who was suggesting, similar to the way the US do it, splitting mm. the Home Office in two mm. and having basically what would be called a Homeland Security or Immigration Department, mm. which would oversee immigration, just immigration. Obviously, there would be other national security interests in other parts of the Home Office, but mm. the Home Office is too big. It doesn't work, does it? Well, it's too big, and also it's it's it's. At particularly at the um, senior executive level, it's got too many people in it mm. that don't sympathise with the idea of a, a national border. Yeah. Uh, too many people, liberals, that have a sort of globalist uh, type attitude. That what's what is what is it there for? What's mm. Britain there for? I think the British government is there for the welfare of the British people, mm. primarily. And a lot of the people are educated now in the civil service to think it isn't. It's there to do some sort of broader, wider, uh, you know, save the world mm. thing. So if you have that, I mean, I know. Uh, you know, Braverman is is under pressure, and you know, obviously, she's made mistakes. But it it would be it would be difficult for her in that environment because a mm. lot of people are against her. A lot of people she has in got the, in the, the most um, sort of I, I would say united front against her of, yeah. of anyone I've ever seen. There's people in yeah. her own party who don't want her there. There's people obviously mm. in the opposition who don't want mm. her there. You know, she's seen as this bogeyman, if you mm. like, or bogeywoman. Mm. If there mm. is such a thing mm. um, because she's seen Bogey as this, person. this far right yeah. sort of individual, which she's not. She's just yeah. trying to actually occupy a position 
uh, which the government and the minister of that government is entirely entitled to occupy, which is to make immigration controllable. Wanting, How is that in any way right-wing? It isn't right-wing. Wanting a secure border is the same thing as wanting British citizens to retain their welfare state. I've yeah. made this point many, many yeah. times. You, it's, it's not unreasonable. And by the way, it can't be, you can't describe it as an extreme position if the majority of British people want it. Yeah. It's a mainstream position. Yeah, also the whole point of voting Brexit was to get the borders under control, mm. to stop the freedom mm. of movement from the European Union, for people to just come here willy-nilly and work. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it's beginning to look as if the complete opposite has actually happened. Yeah. Um, while some per- people from the EU have remained here, mm. um, we've now got a sort of open border situation, like it was described to me the other day. You might as well just open all the barriers at Heathrow mm. and let everybody walk through. Well, they don't, That's we've the never, effect. One of the failures of the system in Britain is that we don't know who's in and who's out so mm. we don't count them out yeah. so very foolish a lot of more sensible states like Australia know where their citizens are and they yes. know who's in their country right. basics um, well, yeah. you are supposed to show your passport as you go out but I've noticed actually I haven't been away that much but I noticed when I went away last time mm. I got all the way to the gate before anybody looked at my passport yeah you know, well, I didn't even have to show... All I had to show to get through passport control mm. at this side in mm. Britain was mm. my boarding pass. Yeah, yeah. And no, then I went through security, but nobody asked for a passport. We've never done that. We uh, And it's easy... No, they with, used to. They used to check your passport as you went through. Yeah, yeah. There yeah, was a man yeah. that actually looked at your passport. Mm, mm. I remember that. No, we don't know. We don't have the data on that. But, yeah, she's not. I mean, it's the, clearly Braverman is the is the wobbly wheel on the supermarket trolley of this government. We'll see what happens. Well, uh, it's not a good sign now that uh, we've heard Rishi Sunak has U-turned on COP27, because yeah. if he gets weak on her, mm. he lets her go. Well, and then where are we? That's right. Well, you're in trouble anyway. I honestly don't believe, I say it again, I'm sorry for boring people on this, and, until you look at the conventions, it's all about the law, this, mm. Mike. And this, if you... You can have you can have open borders if you like, but you can't. You know, you, you'll never get a secure border if you leave those conventions in place. Mm. This is where a sensible Western state has to go. Mm. So at some stage, a sensible Western state is going to get out of those, get a better system that's more fit for purpose now. And a lot of people around uh, the world will, will jump for joy when that happens mm. because we're not being looked after, basically. No, right. Final question back on uh, Matt Hancock. He's on the front pages an awful lot. Mm. A lot of voters not happy because there is a sort of, aside from the sort of the guffawing um, aspect yeah. of the story where Matt Hancock's going to be eating all kinds of disgusting things and lots of people are looking forward to watching that. Mm. Um, there is an issue, is there not, with a sitting MP mm. going away from Parliament while he's being paid, while mm. he's probably still going to claim expenses for his second home or whatever mm. in London, um, and he's earning vast amount of money um, appearing on a, on a national television show. Yeah, if you're there, a, there if, should be a reason for him not to be able to do that. If you're a constituent, he's in Norfolk, isn't he? If you're a normal constituent and you want to, you've got an issue. He's not going to be there. He's going to be eating insects in, in mm. Queensland or whatever. You know what he's doing is he's debasing politics. Yes, and the sad thing about politics nowadays is that. The public, uh, there's a lack of seriousness. Politicians, you know, I mean... There's a lack uh, of respect, I think. There's a lack of, yeah, but it's sort of, it's a two-way street, isn't it, Mike? You've got to be serious. People, you know, you earn respect to some mm. extent. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, serious commentators are saying that for many years, politics has become part of the entertainment business because mm. people aren't serious, you know. Uh, and I, I've criticised, you know, Labour and the Tories for not being serious. Mm obsessed with news cycles and triviality and in a way Johnson was a bit like that and and w- what you get is um, you get a public that aren't being levelled with mm. you know I've, I've talked about the difficult things about you know the national debt trade balances industry we I, th- I think Ian Dale once accused me of being too sensible but you know, hell, someone's got to do it because yeah. they, because you know that it's trivial and they are debasing policies yeah, could you is. see could you see previous generations 
of politics. Could you see Lord Carrington doing this? Could no. you see Peter Shaw no, doing this? No, they were this? matters of state, but unfortunately, matters of state even have a time limit, and we have to stop because uh, we've got to go to the news. William Clifton, thank you very much indeed. Thanks. Uh, we've got more coming up, including more uh, on the migrants. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. How about this from Jill? Uh, what the actual hell is happening? Can't believe Sunak has changed his mind on attending COP27. The Tories are toast. Sunak prioritising a climate conference over the health of the country, yet again proving he and his government are a total shambles. Well, an awful lot of people not very happy with the breaking news we brought you at the top of the show, and that is that Rishi Sunak has made yet another U-turn. Uh, and I say yet another, not because he's made loads, but because the Tory party recently seems to have made an awful lot of them. Um, he's now going to attend COP27 in Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt, which kicks off, I believe, on Sunday. He said he wasn't going to. He said he had more important things to do at home, i.e. solving the budgetary crisis, because they put back, of course, the Halloween budget that was going to be delivered by Jeremy Hunt on Monday. Uh, It's now coming out on November the 17th. He was supposed to be working on that. That's 16 days away, 15 days away, perhaps two weeks away. But now he's going to go to COP27 because somebody told him he should which is pretty shameful, I have to say. The other big story that we're still talking about, of course, is the crisis in the migration situation, particularly the illegal migration situation on the South Coast. We're going to talk now to a former Border Force Chief Immigration Officer, Kevin Saunders, uh, to get his view of what the government should be doing. Kevin, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. You wrote a big piece <coughs> of the Sun yesterday, um, which, which which surprised me in many ways, um, not least because of the numbers, right? Because we're always told there's many, many more uh, immigrants coming to most of Europe than there are coming to Britain. Many of them settle in, in other European countries. But the figure you gave was 69,000 people coming from, say, North Africa to Europe as a whole. And we've had 40,000 already, which seems incredible, doesn't it? Yes, there you go. I mean, my my figures are just from North Africa, so it doesn't it obviously include those that are coming from Turkey. Yeah, but you see, the EU have done a deal with Libya mm. uh, again, again. So um, yeah, they they're cutting the numbers coming across the channel, uh, across the Med. Yeah. So the numbers coming across the Med are not many more, really, than the numbers coming across the Channel. And what we see now is that an awful lot of those numbers coming across the Channel are not even coming from North Africa. They're not even coming from places like Iran or Afghanistan or Turkey. They're coming from Albania. That's right. Between, I I think, what, 70% this year? Coming from Albania. Yeah. It's absolutely ridiculous. It really is. So what should the government be doing? Because, of course, we've heard Suella Braverman's ideas, but we haven't heard the practicalities. Uh, they say they might be actually going to try and change the Slavery Act this morning to, to, to get quicker deportations of Albanians. But they don't yet seem to have formulated a proper plan to stop these people from coming. Well, actually stopping them is, is, is virtually impossible. Mm unless we can get the French to come out onto the channel with us. Oh, no. Yeah. So, I mean... Uh, my, sorry, my iPad just uh, gave me a warning. Oh, so, until we, can get the, until we can get the French to cooperate on the channel, um, they're always going to come. Right. But we can severely restrict the people that are coming if we can remove them. Quickly, and that's the idea behind um, the Albanians. The Albanians can be removed straight away if we can get round this um, 
uh, Modern Slavery Act 2015. Well, we were told yesterday, uh, right, Kevin, that Germany and Sweden no longer accept asylum applications from Albania. Why can't we just do that? Well, because um, what's happening is the um, the the left wing lawyers are telling them to not claim asylum, but to claim they're being trafficked. Right. So, under under that legislation, our our hands are tied. Germany so, and Sweden don't have that problem. Right. So that's a relatively new manoeuvre by the lawyers, then, isn't it? Uh, yes. Yes, it is. And that is and that is where the problem lies, and nobody wants to admit it that what we have in this country is a sort of establishment made up of charities and lawyers who actively work against government policy in order to let these people come here and and help them to stay. Mike, that is absolutely spot on. And you're the first broadcaster I've heard who's actually said that. Yeah. And you're right. You're dead right. And there's not much that we can apparently do about that. No, we're, we're, we're... Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. It's stuck because we play the game by the rules. So if we're going to, um, I don't know what we're doing with the, with, the, with the slavery legislation, but if we are going to amend it, this will be a huge um, weapon in our arsenal because then we can actually refuse the Albanians straight away and put them on a plane straight back. Right. OK. And we're supposed to be talking to Albanian government officials, I think, about doing something like that. So if you were advising uh, Suella Braverman today, Kevin, is that what you would say is the best course of action to, to at least minimise the numbers coming. Oh yes, that that's the way to do it. I mean, we've all, we're already speaking with the Albanian government, and they're quite happy to take them back. I mean, they they've lost about two percent of their male population mm. over here, and they would very much like them back. Yeah, um, wages have increased everything in Albania, and they just want them back. Right. 
It does seem extraordinary that so many Home Secretaries have been unable to make a dent in this. And you also make the point that we were able to stop people coming over in lorries. You know, that that particular method of travel more or less was completely halted by, by the measures that we took both here and in Calais. But yet we can't seem to stop them coming on boats. No, I mean, you're, you're right. We were very successful with the lorries. Um, a lot of hard work went into that. But we, we I mean, it's, you can't stop every single one, but mm. we, we stopped we stopped most of them. And this is the overspill now. Yes. Um, uh, and it's obviously much, much more difficult on the sea. Yeah. Because we have to let the French control it. We've offered to put officers into France to help the French out, but... They, they won't accept that. Mm. No, it's extraordinary. Well, listen, Kevin, appreciate your time. Thanks very much indeed. We'll let you go before the iPad crashes. Uh, Kevin Saunders there, former Border Force Chief Immigration Officer, uh, telling us what needs to be done uh, and telling us why it needs to be done. Let's talk to John, who's in Wolverhampton, wants to talk about the police. Hi, John. Hello, uh, uh, Listen, about this police with criminals not being allowed to join. Yes. When I was 19, I had a fight with me and another lad I won, he lost, he complained to the police. I was fined £10 when I was 19. Right. At 42, I applied to join the West Midlands Police. I'd got a record. They, they asked me about it, they looked into it, and I was allowed to join. I served for 17 years in the police. I had two commendations for, for, for excellent police work. Mm-hmm. And but, but you're saying if nobody has, no police officer should be allowed to join if they've got a criminal record, that means I wouldn't have been able to join. For something I did when I was 19, and I was totally nothing wrong ever again. I'm now 76. I've done nothing wrong whatsoever, and I wouldn't have been allowed to join under your rules. Well, if there there was any kind of sensibility in the police where they could say certain offences are allowable because that was just your youthful indiscretion and that was fine... Um, that would be all right. But they don't seem to be able to, to, to be that sensible because people are in uh, the police who have done many more serious crimes than that and have even committed those crimes while in the police and they're still not kicked out. Yeah, that I agree with. But, but when you said or your, your person that you had on said that if you've got any criminal record mm. whatsoever, yes. you should not be allowed to join. Well, the reason I, no, I, I did say that, John, the reason I said that is that if that is the only way to make sure that there are not criminals serving in the police force, then that's the way you'd have to do it, because the police themselves obviously can't police themselves. But it's all according to what you call a, a, you know, a criminal. I had a fight when I was 19, and I joined the, I joined the police at 42, yeah. and I'd done nothing wrong whatsoever. I served for 17 years, I had two no, conversations and all the rest. I get that. And and obviously, if any anybody sensible was confronted with with your situation, you would be allowed in. But what I'm saying is, they don't seem to be able to tell the difference between people like yourself and more corrupt officers who are still serving, thousands of them, who should be kicked out. Well... Don't you agree? I agree if they've got a... <laughs> A bad record, yeah, obviously. Exactly. obviously. Exactly. Obviously. I mean, nobody I mean, in their what? right mind, John, would say to you, just because you had a fight when you were 17, that 20 years later you shouldn't be allowed into the force. I wouldn't say that either. But, you know, in order sometimes to get to the point of the matter, you have to be uh, using a sledgehammer as a crack of nut. Simple as that. So appreciate your call, though, John. Thank you. Uh, this is Talk TV. Coming up, we're going to hear from Meghan Markle. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. 
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It is Wednesday and that can only mean one thing. It's Prime Minister's Questions. That's right. And we will bring it all to you live right here on Talk TV in the company of Peter Cardwell. Rishi Sunak for his second outing uh, up against Sir Keir Starmer. What's going to happen? Well, Rishi Sunak is going to have to tell him uh, that he has now done yet another U-turn. Uh, he's only been in office about a week and a bit. Uh, he's already U-turned on the uh, £10 he was going to charge people to get a doctor's appointment. Uh, he's now decided he's going to go to COP27, which he said he wasn't going to do because he had better things to do. Does that mean he doesn't have better things to do? Does that mean the budget's not as important as it was? Well, I would suggest to him that it is. And a lot of people are very disappointed, I'm afraid, uh, to see Rishi Sunak so soon caving in to more public pressure. We'll bring you all of that. We'll keep taking your calls as well on the migrant situation and on the police and, of course... On the big story that we broke yesterday during this show, that Matt Hancock, the former Secretary of State uh, for Health, uh, has decided to go to the jungle. Yes, that's right. He's getting what we believe to be somewhere in the region of three hundred to three hundred pounds by ITV to go and become a member of I'm a Celebrity. Get me out of here. I haven't lost my marbles, but I'm off to join the creepy crawlies. A lot of people hoping that he doesn't come back. But we've got a treat for you uh, because Isabel Oakshot, international editor at Talk TV, has taken some time out uh, from her time off, which is very kind of her, uh, to talk to us about a new book coming out. Matt Hancock's book, no less, Pandemic Diaries by Matt Hancock with Isabel Oakeshott. Isabel, very good morning to you. Um, I'm also just back from Australia and I almost could have bumped into Matt Hancock at the airport. (laughs) Um, The reality is um, that he made this decision very last minute. So whilst I knew he was going to do it um, a little bit in advance of the news becoming public, Um, I didn't know that it was going to happen quite that quickly. Uh, And we're just finishing off the project that you referred to, Mm. this um, book that I've been working on with him. And um, then suddenly I find that he has vanished. So I'm also looking forward to seeing him uh, (laughs) eating eating crawlies. I I think it's going to be great sport, isn't it? Whatever you think about we all want to see him in that position. I mean, there's no question it's a, it's a massive win for ITV because um, I think a lot of people had switched off uh, I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here when they moved it to Wales. It just wasn't very interesting. Um, but looking at the cast of characters, Matt Hancock's kind of the icing on the cake. You've got Boy George, you've got Mike Tyndall, uh, you've got a couple of other people who have quite interesting backgrounds. And so the, the addition of, of who, I mean, I don't want to call him Britain's most hated man, but he's not very popular, and yet he's fascinating, isn't he? No, I think that's partly why he's made this decision. And I know it was a dilemma for him, and he, you know, he did ask me whether I thought he should do it and obviously pointed out that there might be a few cons to this uh, adventure. Um, But look, he knows that everybody loves to hate him. And I think that he, whether this is naive or not, I think he hopes that people will see another side of him. I mean, this is the politician who did more press conferences than any other during the pandemic. He was constantly in people's living rooms telling them bad news and what they could and couldn't do. And we all know what happened when he didn't stick to those rules himself. Um, But there is another side to Matt Hancock and you've got to give him some credit for spirit. You know, he's always up for stuff. um, And I think he's just going to go for it. Um, And he knows that in a sense, this could go wrong. But in another way, can things really get worse in terms of how people 
him? No, I think I think you're absolutely right. I mean, he is relentlessly optimistic about his rehabilitation. He never stops trying oh, to 100%. get his get his image yeah. back. You know, there was that that time when he thought he was going to uh, get this job in in working for the UN in Africa. So he kind of slightly jumped the gun and made out he'd already got the job. And then they had to say, actually, no, it was just a kind of preparatory question. We might have given you the job. But I wonder as well whether he was moved to to take this opportunity after he was uh, completely blanked by Rishi Sunak in that famous kind of uh, walkabout when Sunak came out having been crowned prime minister and he completely ignored Matt Hancock, who was clearly standing there looking for a bit of recognition. Look, I think that was incredibly humiliating. That clip went viral. Um, Matt's decision came pretty soon after that. It's not to say that it was a consequence of it, and I certainly haven't discussed Mm. that moment with him. But I think that he's fairly clear that he's not on the fast track for a return to the cabinet under Rishi Sunak. And, you know, politics is incredibly volatile at the moment and all sorts of things can change you know as we as we all know in a very short space of time so two years is a long time Mm. but there is a general view amongst most conservative mps that they're probably heading towards opposition Uh, so i think that he's thinking more broadly about the his future and and what he's doing next and where I think it is a bit um, difficult for him is in how the constituents react in his is on his own patch. And mm. I know he's very mindful of that. What I would say uh, in his defence is that I have rarely known a politician, in fact, never, who works harder than Matt Hancock. Now, he's going to get a lot of grief because he seems to be taking time out of normal parliamentary business. This is a guy that's always on it. He is constantly working crazy hours. And during the pandemic, uh, you know, off the dial in terms of what was expected of him and what he uh, the demands he put on himself. So I've no doubt that he can make it up to his constituents, whether they accept that. That's another question. Yes, I've no doubt he works hard. He did manage to find time for that great clinch that we all remember with the the, the lovely Gina, uh, and I'm sorry to bring that up, but you know people do remember him for that. I mean, every time I walk into this building, they still flash up that front page of the Sun, and it's an image that people just won't forget, and it's an image that keeps being rerun. But I don't know how much you can tell me, Isabel, about the book. But but how did you come to be collaborating with him in the first place? Did he come to you? Well, I can't, I, I'm, and I mustn't talk much about the book yet because it still isn't quite finalised. But look, this is what I do. I write books uh, generally for very successful people with something important to say. Um, And I emphatically don't write boring books. So what I can say is um, brace yourself. Um, (laughs) That's what I would say on this one. Um, It has been an extraordinary experience. And uh, yeah, Hang, hang tight. No, listen, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. And, and I must confess, when I first saw um, a sort of an image of, of what looks like the book cover and it said with Isabel Oakeshott, I wondered if it was just a wind up of some description. And I saw that you tweeted about <laughs> it. And I, and I think, no, I think, I mean, your job, as is my job, is to keep, you know, keep people guessing. I mean, nobody exactly knows what I'm going to say next. Nobody knows what book you're going to write next. I think that's exactly where you should be. Well, my job is to get to the truth and hopefully bring the truth to talk TV. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm a lockdown sceptic and I'm, Matt knows that. Um, and, you know, I've approached that collaboration in that spirit. You know, nothing about 
uh, working on that book changes my own view that lockdowns were an unmitigated disaster. Mm. Uh, but I see my job as a journalist to get to the truth of what happened. Um, and we're going to hopefully hear some very interesting new perspectives. Yes. And your friend of mine, Piers Morgan, of course, has written several books in sort of diary form. And his key to doing that was to say you must always write down what you've done every single day that you do it otherwise you forget and I know that that's true because I've always tried to promise myself to do that never have done um without giving too much away has he got that kind of detail of exactly what happened every single day I think that what I can say is that no one is going to be disappointed on that front Mm. Okay, I shall take Sorry that. As, as, no, no, that's Sorry as good. So I've got to ask you these questions, and you've got absolutely every perfect right not to answer them if you wish. But mm. um, what's the, the time frame? Given that he, I mean, a lot of people are saying they'd like to see him in the jungle for quite a long time because they want to make sure that they vote for him to do the most disgusting trials that he can possibly do. Um, so he's probably likely to be there for a while. What, what, what? As far as you know, is the timing for the book? So, I mean, it's, it's fairly imminent, certainly not while he's in the, in the jungle, unless he lasts there a much longer um, time than I think is anticipated. But, you know, pretty soon, I would say, and that's in the public domain. I think the um, various websites yeah. have already uh, started advertising the cover. I mean, look, I don't watch I'm a Celebrity. I don't actually, I, yeah, I don't. you know, probably like... I don't have time to watch this stuff, and that's not meant to sound grand. It's just literally, I don't have mm. time to sit down... Oh, we've just lost your sound there for a moment. We'll try and try and get that back. Uh, Isabel Oakshot, international editor at Talk TV, who is writing uh, with Matt Hancock his book, Matt Hancock Pandemic Diaries. We're, he- we're hearing from Isabel. It's not quite a finished article yet, so we will bring... Uh, we are. I think we're back. We just lost your uh, volume there for a minute. So carry on. You don't have time, you said, to Sorry. watch it. Yeah, but I was saying I don't have time to watch it. That's not me being grand. It just is. I just am quite busy for mm. these things. But I will 100% be making time to watch Matt Hancock in the jungle. Don't we all want to see him um, suffer a bit, having to eat bits of kangaroo and God knows what else? I do. Well, yeah, I mean, even his own constituency chairman has said he's looking forward to eating a certain piece of kangaroo, which I I won't mention here. But he also um, uh, may face a a bit of questioning. There's a couple of the the contestants who apparently, like you, were not that keen on on what he did and the lockdowns that he made everybody sit through and, and, and go through. So he might even get questioned quite, I suppose, um, substantially and quite forcefully by some of the other people there. Well, I think everybody has their lockdown story, don't they, of how there isn't a person in the country that the pandemic didn't impact in different ways, whether you lost somebody or you had a relative in a care home Mm. or, uh, you know, you yourself had to uh, had to cope with homeschooling or your children were affected. So, I imagine he will get a bit of a hard time from the other contestants and he'll have to justify his approach. But um, that is a a very well-trodden route for him. Mm. You know, he he absolutely has his lines to take and I doubt that he'll deviate from that. You know, he is somebody who is utterly convinced that he responded in the best possible way he could with the information that was there Mm. available at the time. And do you think he... I doubt he's going to be expressing any regrets, no. let's put it that way. And do you think he will sort of want to emerge from this experience in the jungle as a sort of personality rather than as a, as a future political player? Well, politics 
is in the blood for him. He's been doing it for so long. And I don't think that, I think he loves his constituency and he works very hard for them. Um, but we've already seen him taking part in another reality TV show. It's not aired yet, but it's in the public domain that he's done um, a, an SAS thing. Um, and, you know, maybe he's just diversifying, um, recognizing that, uh, you know, as we were saying earlier, that he's not on a fast track back to the cabinet, as I think perhaps he initially hoped after mm. his resignation, um, you know, that he might be brought back by by Boris. Yes, interesting times. Well, listen, Isabel, we'll look forward to you being back uh, next week, hopefully. Isabel Oakeshaw, International Editor at Talk TV, just back from Australia herself, uh, where Matt Hancock is obviously heading. It all kicks off soon. He's going to be in it. Um, a lot of people say he shouldn't be doing it. I don't care if he does it. I just think he should resign as an MP if that's what he's going to do. If he's going to go off for this length of time, for this amount of money, uh, he should certainly give up his MP salary and certainly give up any expenses that he claims while he will be away. Because why should we pay for a second home for an MP if he's off earning a load of money in another continent? Quite simply, that's the deal. This is Talk DV. Uh, I'm Mike Graham. More coming after this. See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. This is, of course, the home of common sense, the one place where you hear the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Now, uh, coming up at midday, it's Prime Minister's Questions, the second outing for Rishi Sunak, uh, the new Prime Minister, and uh, Sir Keir Starmer. Will it be uh, infested? Uh, for want of a better word, uh, with words of the invasion. Uh, will Sir Keir Starmer try to make out that that was the wrong use of language? Will he try and put pressure, more pressure on Rishi Sunak to dump Suella Braverman because of her uh, supposed uh, missteps and mistakes that she made uh, with regard to sending emails around to people that she shouldn't have? I suspect that's what they will do. Peter Cardwell will be here to talk us through what to expect during that period and we'll bring you live the whole thing, of course, right here on Talk TV. So don't go anywhere. Right now, though, let us talk to Dr Charles Levinson, Doctor and Chief Executive of Doctor on Call, because um, we thought what better day to look back on the pandemic uh, and the lockdown and the NHS and all of that that happened over the course of the last couple of years, because Matt Hancock's name is now very much on the front pages again. Matt Hancock has decided to go into the jungle uh, to join the celebrities on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. No longer a Secretary of State for Health, now supposedly a sort of Z-list celebrity. Charles, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Morning, Mike. I mean, um, it's a strange peg, I suppose, to talk about the NHS, but, but Matt Hancock is that kind of figure, isn't he? And, and he's certainly responsible for an awful lot of the things that went wrong during that period of time uh, when COVID was, uh, uh, was the reason why hospitals were basically closed to everybody but COVID patients. And we're now beginning to see a very large and, and rather worrying pattern of what went wrong and, and why it can't be fixed. Yeah, yes, we are. And um, people who worked in healthcare at, at Dr. Call or, or any elsewhere were all, we, we could see that um, locking down was going to have significant uh, long-term consequences. Uh, the problem we have is that uh, MP, for, with an MP faced with a choice between a, 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 a fixing an immediate problem and um, dealing with a problem in two and a half years later, as we are now, it is uh, uh, you know they may well not be in office. They may be in Australia in two and a half years. You know they may they may not be in office. So <laughs> so uh, um, we've now got. About 200 excess deaths a day as a result of lockdown. Uh, we went into lockdown because of about the same number, about 200 deaths a day from COVID. Of course, this is much more difficult to deal with. 
Yes, it really is. And also, it's sort of, I mean, people talk about long COVID. I wonder if you could talk about the effects of, of, of COVID long term on the NHS, because the drag, if you like, from, from the COVID treatments has certainly still got an effect on the way hospitals are running at the moment. I mean, there are a number of issues. There is, uh, um, and some of them we haven't yet really seen the the main, the worst of yet. So, so um, cardiac admissions were um, at almost stop, and they were well, there were thirty one thousand less cardiac admissions than there would normally have been in twenty twenty. Um, it's then worryingly in twenty twenty one, the number of elective or routine admissions was still still down a bit by 10,000, but the number of emergency admissions had started to climb um, and was right up at 25,000. So, so um, uh, um, the people not getting treatment at the time uh, um, just leads to, leads to worse and greater problems later. And cancer, which is, has a longer tail to it, um, a similar story. So, uh, uh, um, and of course, there's also uh, 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 no money for the NHS now, no money you know for anything much anymore and and um uh, which is which is an effect of lockdown and um there, there is a cost of living crisis mm. which to which lockdown contributed and which is a um and and it is well documented that uh shortage of money leads to leads to uh, people poor health choices mm. but isn't it amazing um that when we talk about shortage of money for the NHS in particular, because there's now calls for them to get another seven billion. Um, you know, this is an organisation that gets about two hundred billion pretty much every year, and yet people still say it's short of money. I find that an extraordinary kind of juxtaposition, really. Yeah. So I think it. Uh, you know, I think most people now think that what we need is is a rethink about it. And um, I mean, I think one there's you can make a good case for saying that. Because politicians are um, understandably um, short-term in their thinking, um, we perhaps should think about taking it out of the hands of politicians, just like just as was done with the Bank of England. But yeah. um, I think if I, I think it does need more money, I think it that it always needs more money. I think the money needs to be very carefully. Uh, funnel to where it is needed. Mm. And where is it needed most? Because we were told, weren't we, that if this national insurance um, tariff was increased, that would be to pay, initially it was going to be to pay for uh, social care, then it was going to be to pay uh, to create the uh, um, a reduction in backlogs for people waiting for NHS surgery. I'm not clear that any of that money has gone anywhere near the NHS for a start. But even if it was to go near, where would you spend that money precisely in order to reduce the numbers of people waiting? Well, I think the first way to uh, uh, um, spend a relatively small amount with a fair, with a relatively sort of uh, good uh, bang for your buck is in streamlining, mm. so that uh, giving, letting people get the treatment they want without necessarily having to see a doctor, which is largely through um, IT, through yeah. through being able to um, ask algorithms where you can answer some questions and, get, and pick up some antibiotics. Right. Um, other than that, it's frontline services. Mm. But frontline services, again, would you spend it on more nurses? Because, again, my understanding is, you know, we keep hearing that the NHS is, is broken, that it doesn't work properly, and it's all the fault of the Tories. But in the end, surely the people running the NHS should bear some responsibility for how it's run. And if they're not running it properly, isn't it their fault? Well, of course they should. And um, the training, so, I mean, one thing we could do is lift the cap on training of doctors. Yeah. 
And um, the politicians are never very interested in that because it takes seven years to train a doctor. So they're, they're not going to be in office or unlike to be in office when, mm. when, when the benefits are seen. Right. And as far as the uh, extra seven billion that the health service say they need, um, presumably Rishi Sunak and, and Jeremy Hunt are not going to find that. Um, but could they find that money by reducing, say, spending in other areas? We know, for example, that an awful lot of spending in NHS has got nothing to do with health, nothing to do with clinicians, nothing to do with frontline medicine at all, and all to do with structures of management, all to do with you know net zero coordinators and diversity managers and all of that kind of thing. And I know it's a, it's a hoary old argument, but it's a true argument, and surely they could um, make more efficiencies in those areas. I'm sure. I'm sure they could. You're absolutely right, Mike. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so the future for the NHS is what? Because if people are now starting to say the things that I've been saying for years, which is, like, let's make it less cumbersome. Let's break it up a little bit. Let's take social care away from it. Let's somehow. I mean, is anybody having these conversations? No. And what we need, and that needs to be had, doesn't it? And it needs. And what we need is the politicians to to um, to to start that conversation and. And, and that has to be a debate that, um, that the public have to have a say in. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. Well, I look forward to that. Um, anybody from the Labour Party wishes to have a debate about the NHS, it's difficult, though, because they don't want you to talk about it. They just want you to tell us every, everybody how great it is. But listen, Dr Charles Levinson, thank you very much indeed, Doctor and Chief Executive uh, of Doctor On Call. Um, so much wrong with the NHS. And as I say repeatedly, whenever I hear people blaming the Tories... And you might have some uh, blame for people like Matt Hancock and others, Jeremy Hunt, perhaps, people who were Secretary of State for Health. But the bottom line for me is that if you're running an organisation and those are the people who are running it, and it's not the Secretary of State who's running it, it's the NHS who's running it. If you're running it into the ground, you're doing it wrong. And it's your responsibility to get it right. And sometimes the blame must fall surely on the NHS itself, doesn't it? Coming up, uh, I don't wonder uh, whether we'll hear any about any news about the NHS during Prime Minister's questions. But Prime Minister's questions coming next. Rishi Sunak, uh, Sir Keir Starmer, brought to you by us here at Talk TV in the company of Peter Cardwell, uh, our political editor, right here at Talk Radio. Back with that it's next. Talk Radio across the UK, online on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. 